1: from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Alcina Lloyd and this is the Daily Download. Today, HousingWire's HW Plus managing editor Brenna Nath will provide our listeners with an exclusive interview she conducted with HousingWire's Ben Lane. In this interview, Lane discusses how one month nearly broke the U.S. housing ecosystem as the coronavirus pandemic rocked the housing market. According to Lane, March 2020 will long be remembered as the month that the coronavirus nearly broke the U.S. housing finance system and just 31 days. But before we dive in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. Core Logic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines. CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit CoreLogic.com forward slash COVID-19.
0: First off, welcome to the Daily Download Podcast, Ben. We're excited to have you on today. And for starters, if anyone hasn't seen the May issue of the Housing Wire magazine, you need to check it out and feel free to email me if you need discount code to HW But not only is the design amazing, but the content does a great job trying to capture and share insight in a fast changing environment. So today we're diving into Ben's feature story. And for our first question, I wanted to ask you, what was originally forecasted for 2020? In the mortgage industry,
1: the interesting thing about that was the original forecast for this year was that rates were going ri- to Mortgage rates were going to rise as the Fed continued to increase the federal funds rate, and then the general consensus was that lending was going to dip this year below last year, especially on the refi side. Rates were expected to rise and was going to drive refi lending down, the opposite of what happened at the tail end of 2019. Uh, so the, the thinking was that there was going to be a down year. For the, for the lending business. Now that may still end up happening because of everything that's happened, but it's not gonna be because of the fact that interest rates were on the rise. Um, interestingly enough, about, about this piece in the magazine that we're talking about, uh, the original, the, I'll give you guys, I'll, I'll give your uh, listeners a little bit of inside baseball. The original plan for this article was to write about the rise of non-QM lending. And as the virus sort of started to take hold non-fueled lending started to, to disappear from the market. So we had to shift our focus a little bit and uh, start to think about everything else that was happening in, in, in the mortgage business and and, started to, and came to the realization of how much everything happened over the course of a month and how much everything changed. So that's where we ended up uh, where we did.
0: So what were some of the first signs that the virus was impacting the mortgage lending industry?
1: Yeah, the, the as the virus kind of began spreading, uh, you know, outside of China and then into the European countries and then eventually to the US um, you know global investors sought refuge from that kind of that carnage in US bonds which generally thought of as, as safer than other financial instruments and that drove mortgage rates down to record lows um, which have since been broken of course uh, over the last couple of weeks they've, they've gone even lower than they were then um, but th- that drove mortgage rates down to lows that had never been seen before under 3.3 percent. Uh, for a 30-year fixed rate and that led to a refi boom that just exploded basically in in about a week where uh just tons and tons of people were uh were moving to re- to refinance their mortgages at rates uh that were that were unprecedented.
0: And I know you just touched on this um but can you expand on the consequences of the refi boom?
1: Yeah. So as mortgage rates dipped to those record lows, lenders were inundated with mortgage applications as borrowers were rushing to refinance. Um, that rush led to some lenders actually pulling back from offering those record, those record lows in interest rates because they were basically overwhelmed by the amount of mortgage demand and, and some weren't really totally able to handle all the volume they had. So mortgage rates dipped to record lows, but the problem was that a lot of, pretty quickly after that, a lot of borrowers couldn't get those rates because lenders were no longer offering them because lenders were basically overwhelmed and unable to handle the amount of applications, the amount of demand that they had. So they were like lenders were, a lot of lenders were thinking, okay, we're going to focus on the, the applications and the, and the mortgages that we have in our pipeline. And, you know, we'll put rates out there to the public that um, that will dissuade them from trying to refi because we just can't handle any more than we have right now.
0: And I know in your feature article, you actually even dug deeper into one area that was impacted. So, how did this giant shift in lending in March lead to an immediate crisis for mortgage servicers specifically?
1: Yeah, servicers were kind of hit with a double whammy there. Um, first, they were dealing with a, f- a flood of prepayments from those from those re- from the ones that were able to re- the borrowers that were able to refinance early on in the month, um, where. Yeah, they got hit with prepayments, which is where borrowers pay off their mortgages early, either via refinance or selling their home. That meant that many of their servicing rights no longer had value. Then, of course, the forbearance issue became much more prevalent as the crisis worsened uh, in, the, in the United States and the economy started to shut down and stay-at-home orders were put in place and all that. And then millions upon millions upon millions of people started losing their jobs. And then forbearance became much more prevalent at uh, much more uh, of an issue that servicers were going to have to deal with. And then servicers were left trying to figure out how they were going to have to advance the mortgage payments to investors for borrowers who had lost their jobs or were otherwise impacted by the virus. So that led to service. So at first, servicers were hit with prepayments. And then at the end, I guess not the end, but as things progressed, they were left trying to figure out, okay, how do we deal with the with all of these missed payments that we're going to have to pass along to investors?
0: And mortgage servicers also, right, weren't the only ones that were hit pretty severely. Can you explain some of the other big pain points for the industry?
1: Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the way that this went is that you know lending outside sort of the the, the GSE, the Fannie and Freddie kind of pristine QM uh, credit box dried up significantly as as borrowers who kind of weren't who really weren't seen as as a quote unquote sure thing weren't really able to get a loan, even if they wanted one. Everyone from lenders to investors, you know, sees those borrowers as 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 riskier, and they were too risky in that environment to lend to. Uh, and that meant that FHA lending dried up significantly, non-QM dried up significantly, jumbo uh, mortgages dried up significantly. All those took big steps back uh, as as things got worse and worse. And the only people that were really able to get a, a, a purchase mortgage if they wanted to buy a house were those that kind of fit very neatly into that GSE credit box.
0: And to wrap up the podcast and to take it to today, really, now that we're heading into May, can you give a quick pulse on how things stand right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, th- I mean as everybody listening, I'm sure knows things are starting to thaw a, a tiny bit as the stay-at-home orders are being relaxed in some states. Um, and we're starting to see a little bit of a comeback in some of those non-GSC credit box lending um, segments, a little inside baseball for you guys. There's a there's a piece coming later today that I'm working on about how, how about non-QM lending is kind of starting to inch back into the market. Um, so that's starting to come back and, and things are starting to thaw a bit. Some lenders are kind of removing a lot of the overlays that they put in place, maybe not removing entirely, but backing off somewhat. Uh, and opening up credit a little bit more to some of those not quite so pristine borrowers. And so things are starting to kind of ease a bit. But, you know, outside of that, it really just depends on how long the impact of this virus is. And opinions on that vary wildly. So, you know, some people think it could be months. Some people think it could be years. It just, it just depends um, if it's a quick recovery or if it's a lengthy one. The problem, of course, is that no one really knows yet. It's just too soon to tell.
0: And I know this was just a small piece of the full story that you wrote for the magazine. So I would encourage everyone to go read that full article along with the other article that Ben is writing up. And once again, thanks for joining us on the Daily Download, Ben. So excited to have you here. And we'll be back on Monday with the latest news in the housing market.
1: It was my pleasure. I appreciate getting the chance to talk to, to, talk to uh, our, our, fo- our fine listeners and a big fan of the podcast Listen every day. So pleasure to be a part of it.